This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Welcome to this week's edition of our program. And we are coming to you, as always, from Franklin, Tennessee, Michael's home. Actually, we're very close to the house here. Michael, you have this wonderful studio. It's, it's a wonderful place to come and work right. and open the scriptures and, and talk together about them. Now, as we begin today, we have some very special guests who are going to join us. And I'll mention those people in just a moment. But... What is this? You have a banjo on your knee. Well, this here, is Michael. this is Franklin, Tennessee, after all. But <laughs> the, the point I like to to make is this: the banjo is the only uh, original American instrument. I didn't know that. It was uh, invented by uh, slaves, um, you know, right before the Civil War. Huh. Um, uh, wonderful instrument. Now, I'm not surprised, I guess, that you're playing this uh, stringed instrument because you're so proficient at that with the guitar and with other instruments along the way. But it, it does surprise me a bit that you know the banjo so well. Well, I grew up uh, around Earl Scruggs, the banjo player. Uh, oh. My father was their doctor, and uh, and he was very gracious to sit on the sofa with me and teach <laughs> me songs. So, uh, But it is a great instrument, banjo, wonderful well, instrument. We're going to ask you to do a song where you'll accompany yourself on the banjo in just a moment, but you, you got a little something there you want oh, to get? Oh, no, not really. Just something, yeah, giving yeah. us an idea what it sounds like. Simple, and simple that, stuff. And that was? That's, that's a piece actually written by John Michael Talbot called oh. uh, Belfast. Oh. That's marvelous. Well, it is uh, fun to come to the studio and see all the various uh, gifts that God has given you and all these uh, instruments that you are able to play, Michael. Um, We are going to be joined today, as I said earlier, by two very distinguished guests. Mm -hmm. Uh, In just a moment, we'll be talking with theologian Dr. J.I. Packer, who will join us in the studio today Mm -hmm. on the telephone. And then later, we're going to meet a very special man, an artist. Uh, Makoto Fujimura, who is a contemporary artist, uh, his studio is actually in Ground Zero. Hmm. in uh, New York City, and he has a wonderful ability to share the incarnational nature of uh, doing art. So we'll talk to him as well. All right. That's all coming up on this week's edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Well, with that banjo in hand, Michael is going to open our program with a song today. This is I Will Arise and Go to Jesus. such a great sound. I will arise and go to Jesus. Michael Card in the studio today. And uh, Michael, thanks for bringing that banjo along today. It's always here in the studio whenever you need it. (laughs) That's fun. I didn't didn't realize you were such an accomplished banjo player. You need to hear a real banjo player and then decide all over again. (laughs) 
Well, one thing we do each week, we're sure to do this each week, is to open the scriptures mm-hmm. and talk about them and study them together. And we're honored today to have a very special guest join us. Now, when I was in college, I picked up this book, uh, Knowing God, and uh, read it and was uh, completely changed. Uh, much the same impact as uh, Bonhoeffer's book, uh, Cost of Discipleship. In fact, I read them right about the same time. And mm-hmm. Um, and then, strangely enough, 25 years later, they did the, this anniversary edition of it, and they, they asked me if I would write a little blurb on the back. So I thought, well, I need to go back and look. And I reread my old college uh, version with all the underlinings and interacting in the margins. <laughs> and I was amazed at all of these ideas that in later years I thought I thought of hmm. that were in uh, this wonderful book. And what I realized uh, Dr. Packer had done is not—he didn't tell me what to think— about God. He taught me how to think about God, which is uh, a wonderful uh, gift to give someone. So it's a privilege to have you on the other end of the phone line, Dr. Packer. Welcome. Well, a pleasure to be here on the program, Michael. Now, have you two ever met Dr. Packer? Do you recall meeting Michael? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, we met outside my office at Regent College in Vancouver, something like two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And Michael has reminded me that I, he needed an aspirin because he had a headache, and I gave, and I gave him one. So theologian and pharmacist well, J.I. Packer is with us. Huh? I, was a, I was a groupie waiting outside the office just for a signature, and I got an aspirin, which is uh, what I needed. <laughs> oh, Dr. Packer, it is an honor to have you with us today. And you need to know that our practice each week is to open the Scriptures together. And uh, we, we also talk about the importance of creativity and community. And uh, we hope to uh, talk with you about uh, really all of that as much as possible as time allows here today. But, Michael, let's open the Scriptures together. We've been studying the book of Hebrews here. And we've been working our way through uh, the book of Hebrews, and we've come to chapter 5. We'd like to talk to you, Dr. Packer, about this mysterious person uh, we meet in chapter 5, Melchizedek. Yes. Here in Hebrews, the focus all the time is on the finality of the Lord Jesus Christ— as God and Savior, and to make his point, the writer celebrates the fact that he is king, he's been enthroned as Lord, and he's also, and this is really the central thought um, at the heart of the letter, he is also our great high priest, fulfilling in himself and in his own ministry all that was part of the pattern, uh, all that was part of the type, as we would say, of Aaron, the high priest whom uh, God directed Moses to install in the days of the Exodus. And the essence of the ministry of the high priest is set before us at the beginning of chapter 5, um, the high priest thought has already appeared in the in the book. You've got it, for instance, in verse 15 of chapter 4, where the writer says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's really his lead-in to the thoughts that he develops in chapter 5 and then on through the further exploration of high priesthood um, in chapter 7. Um, chapter 5 begins with him telling us that, um, well, let's re- let me read it. And I read it, by the way, in the new version, the English Standard Version. I knew you would do that. Uh, Dr. Now, Becker that? is the uh, general editor of this brand new Bible. so. Well, it's true that I was general editor of the team that produced it. And so perhaps I have a right to read it. I <laughs> have to read it because, <laughs> frankly, I think it's a very good version. You certainly what have you our permission. What would you expect me to say? But uh, <laughs> yes, that's um, what I do think. So let, let, let me let me just read the first few verses. For every high priest chosen from among men, as all high priests are, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, Only comment needed there, perhaps, is that the English Standard Version retains the word men, 
because that's what's in the Greek and leaves it to the modern reader to decide what to do with it. And, of course, the correct exposition is that um, this is the inclusive use of the word man, men. Uh, It covers women as much as men. It is people. It's human beings that we're talking about. And every high priest is appointed to act on behalf of fellow humans, let's say it that way, in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, In the relationship between God and ourselves, the fundamental problem is that we have sinned, that is, we have transgressed God's law, and as a result, we are contrary to God in terms of, um, well, what we deserve and what we hope for from him. Um, What we hope for, of course, when we go to God is blessing, help, acceptance, uh, uh, fellowship. But in order to get to that point, the problem created by the guilt of our sins has got to be overcome. There must be a solution found. There's got to be a solution to that. And the high priest's first business is to offer the sacrifices for sins that overcome that problem. The effect of the sacrifices is to wash out the guilt of the sin in the way that when you have a damp cloth, you rub it over the blackboard and wash out everything that was written on the blackboard before you started cleaning it. It isn't the whole, however, of the ministry that the high priest fulfills. Verse 2 goes on to say there's another side to it. Just as he deals with God on behalf of uh, us sinners, so he deals with us sinners on behalf of God. And so verse 2 says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, just as the Lord Jesus in the days of his flesh dealt gently with the ignorant and wayward, instructing them and alluring them back to God when they were yielding to the temptation to continue in their own way, pig-headedly, self-centeredly, and moving away from God all the time. No, the high priest deals gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, That is inevitably true of every human minister who acts on behalf of God. He's himself a sinner saved by grace. He's weak. He's foolish. He himself needs all the help that God will give him to stand upright. And he can express, therefore, full empathy with other people who are in the grip of uh, ignorance and waywardness, since, as the end of verse 2 puts it, he himself is beset with weakness in just the same way. So it's not his superiority that allows him to do that. It's his own experience of weakness, just like their experience. Well, that's right. But it isn't an experience of weakness overcoming him. It's an ex- he's, a, he's a person who lives by the grace of God, mm. and by the grace of God, he has learned what it is to resist the temptation to lapse and to overcome mm. the weakness that would lead him astray. Mm. And that is part of the under, part of the thought that we, as we should understand it here. He himself is beset with weakness. He's constantly tempted. But he knows what it is by the grace of the Lord Jesus to overcome weakness in his own life. Nonetheless, he has slipped from time to time. Everybody has. Um, He, as I said, is a sinner saved by grace. And so verse 3 says, because of this, that is, because he's beset by weakness, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. In a moment, he's going to tell, the writer is going to tell us, now this doesn't apply to the Lord Jesus, right. because uh, he was not beset with weakness in that way, and he never sinned himself. He is the sinless offerer, because actually what he's offering is his own blood, the sinless sacrifice. Um, that is the blood of the perfect victim. But um, this is the writer spelling out what uh, 
the idea of high priesthood in the first instance expresses. A person who is chosen to mediate, stand between God and man, and he offers sacrifices to God for human sins, and he deals gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And uh, because of this, if the ordinary human high priest has, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people, and Aaron and all those who followed Aaron in the typical high priesthood of the Old Testament setup mm. uh, had to do. And that there's details about that in the Old Testament itself. And then verse 4, the final point about uh, high priest, no one takes this honor to, for himself. In other words, it isn't something for which you volunteer. Mm. You take this honor only when called by God to do so, just as Aaron was. So, also Christ. It says in verse 5 and verse 6, quoting um, from first from Psalm 2 and then from Psalm 110, um, and that's done in fulfillment of the constant claim of the New Testament writers that all the patterns of mediation by prophet, by priest, and king that you've got in the Old Testament, they're all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And all those Old Testament pictures um, are foreshadowings of Jesus and his ministry. Well, now, let me just read it. So also, Christ didn't exalt himself to be made a high priest. He was appointed by him, this is God the Father, who said to him, Another quote from Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Um, and that uh, means that the sonship in question is the official sonship of the king. Psalm 2 is about the appointment of Israel's king. And the begetting is the official begetting of appointment as king. So royalty is the first thought that... Um, is introduced here about the Lord Jesus. And then, against the background and the frame of royal office, verse 6 goes on, as he says in another place, this is Psalm 110 now, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is an Old Testament figure who appears as a king who is also a priest. Mm. And the writer is going to tell us in detail that Jesus is the fulfillment of that pattern, which you see in Melchizedek, um, in a very direct way. Now, Melchizedek is a unique figure in the Old Testament, and it's part of the uniqueness of Jesus' ministry that he, as a type, is expressing. May I just interrupt for a moment, Dr. Yes, of course. Dr. I'm Packer. monologuing away because you asked me to. <laughs> well, no, this is delightful. It's dialogue, isn't it? Well, this is delightful. We're learning so much. I see Michael starting to take notes here uh, as you talk. Um, for listeners who may have joined us late, J.I. Packer is with us as we take a look at Hebrews chapter 5 and consider uh, Jesus as our high priest. And this is in the studio with Michael Card. And we're delighted to have Dr. Packer with us today. But then we come to Melchizedek, Dr. Packer. Maybe you have a question, Michael. Well, I, uh, there was a point that uh, Dr. Packer made in, in uh, the early part of chapter five. He said, this describes the typical priesthood. But then it seems like we get to Melchizedek and that is a very atypical priesthood. And that's that's just where you were when uh, when we interrupted you. Well, um, what the writer is doing is introducing the thought of high priesthood as you see it in Aaron and Aaron's sons. And his reason, I think, for starting there is that he's writing, after all, to converted Jews. It's the letter to the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the Jews um, in question, they would all have been brought up on the thought that, um, well, we, 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 we get our right our, our right relationship to God through the work of the priesthood and supremely the work of the high priest. Uh, Jews were familiar with that idea. Jewish teachers didn't make much, apparently, of Melchizedek. So it's, it's like, like stepping stones. First, you, 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 you um, think of Aaron, the Jewish high priest, now you move on from that to think of Melchizedek, the royal high priest. Aaron, of course, wasn't, a, wasn't royalty. 
he wasn't a king in any sense, but Melchizedek was. And you, you meet Melchizedek, of course, in, in Genesis chapter 14, long before the Aaronic high priesthood is established. And having got now to talk about Melchizedek, the writer focuses on Melchizedek. And, um, well, you've got a lot about Melchizedek. You have to have both Aaron and Melchizedek to get the complete picture of Christ. Is that, is that what's uh, being well, presented? Yes, you do. And that's because he goes back to Aaron in chapter 9, uh, talking about the special ministry of the high priest on the Day of Atonement when all the sins of the previous year, all the sins of all the people in the previous year, were symbolically confessed over the head of the goat who was sent off into the wilderness on the Day of Atonement as an outward sign, you see, that the sins were all being taken away. And that was part of a ritual of which the other part was the sacrificing of a bull And that sacrifice, blood sacrifice for sin, did in fact take the sins away. And then, as I say, what was done with a goat uh, was a visual aid, a demonstration of the fact that sins were being taken away, a sign from God as to what this particular Day of Atonement ritual meant. So he has to come back to Aaron for that, because there's nothing about Melchizedek offering a sacrifice of that sort, uh, in when, when Melchizedek appears in Genesis 14. Early in chapter 7, we have some of the details in, uh, in regards to the character of Melchizedek, this, this yes. idea without father, without mother. What's going on there? Well, what the writer is doing, and I say the writer, I don't think that Hebrews was written by Paul because the style is so different, but it's certainly apostolic doctrine expressed in writing of apostolic quality. So, don't feel there's any skepticism when I keep saying the writer. Mm -hmm. I think of Hebrews as a marvelous letter. Now, what's going on there at the beginning of chapter 7 is that the writer is um, expounding um, the Melchizedek episode in Genesis 14 just as the text presents it. His point is that the text doesn't tell us anything about uh, Melchizedek's ancestry or parenthood, um, or for that matter, about his mortality and his death. And that silence is a speaking silence. It's giving us a message, because it means that Melchizedek is being presented um, in Genesis 14 in the manner of a supernatural figure who Mm -hmm. comes into our life, though he isn't one of us. He's different. He's a person of unique nature and unique uh, unique office and unique significance. And that actually is one of the points that he's going to make when he talks about uh, Abraham, in effect, paying tithes um, to... to, uh, to, uh, to, to Melchizedek. Um, I say it in effect... I shouldn't have said that because that's actually what the the, um, the 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 Genesis 14 text says. Abraham gave him tithes of everything, uh, everything that is that he'd recovered uh, in the war against the five kings, which precedes immediately precedes the Melchizedek episode. Doctor Packer. Um our time is going by far too I'm quick. I'm sorry, yes. I find it easier always to start talking than to stop. Oh, well, I wish we could have an endless discussion about the Scriptures together with you. But since we have a limited time, I wonder if I can ask you just to talk for a few moments about the implications on our lives today for what we're learning from the Scriptures here today. Well, what the writer is telling us is that when we think of the Lord Jesus as our mediator, we are to think of him in Melchizedek terms. Mm. And that means we are to think of him first and foremost as God's anointed king. Melchizedek was a king. Um, His name, as the writer tells us actually, uh, means um, that he's the king and actually... Let me me just read the verse. It's Mm. chapter 7, verse 2. 
by translation of his names, as the uh, are the uh, ESV, he is king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem. That is, he's king of peace, because hmm. uh, Salem, Salem, is the um, Hebrew word for peace. And that describes Jesus. Yes, that is does describe Jesus. And the, these are details given to us in Genesis 14. Um, but then it says he's without father, mother, genealogy, neither having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And that's the big point that um, the writer goes on to make, um, having established that Jesus, like Melchizedek, is both king and high priest. That is, both the one who should be ruling our lives and the one to whom we look whenever we've sinned, because he offered once for all, the sacrifice that puts away all sins forever, we should then realize he continues to minister to us, just as he did uh, to the first Christians in the first century of our era. He doesn't change. He continues at the Father's right hand in the power of his endless life. And his mediation is just as strong and sufficient and complete for us, as it was for those harassed Hebrew Christians to whom the writer was addressing himself. And to that, we have, we just must say amen to that. I mean, that's that's just a marvelous truth. It really oh, is. Oh, it is. It, it's it, it, well, it, it's it's the tremendous truth which um, the writer is really going to tone about uh, in in chapter seven. I mean, he expounds it at some length in order to hammer it home to all our hearts. And we need it, and praise God for it. Dr. Packer, our time has expired. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'll always think now of Melchizedek as a stepping stone to move from Aaron to uh, Melchizedek, then to the high priesthood of Jesus. It's a wonderful image. Well, it's a pleasure to share these things with you. Thank you for joining us. And you have been listening to a conversation with Dr. J.I. Packer in the studio with Michael Card. I'm sure if you are following along with today's study of Hebrews chapter 5, you might have a few questions. Well, feel free to send them our way. The email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Again, that's in the studio at michaelcard.com. And for more about this program, to access our audio archive, or for more about Michael's ministry, join us on the web at www.michaelcard.com. In the second half of our program, we welcome modern artist Makoto Fujimura to discuss how art leads us in worship. All this and much more coming up after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card. Michael, you always come to the studio with an armload of books. You're always mm-hmm. suggesting books for me to read. I can't keep up with all of them. How do you, how do you read so much? We, I don't read all of them. <laughs> I just read a couple of chapters and then tell everyone else they have to read them. That's... You have a book with you today, though, that really uh, you have been talking about for a couple of months to me. Here. Yeah, it's a wonderful book uh, by Kathleen Erickson, uh, At Eternity's Gate, The Spiritual Vision of Vincent Van Gogh. It's, hmm. uh, it's a wonderful book. And uh, I wanted to read a quote uh, by Van Gogh, uh, something he said about the Lord. Christ alone, of all the philosophers, magi, etc., has affirmed as a principal certainty eternal life, the infinity of time, the nothingness of death, the necessity and raison d'entre of serenity and devotion. He lived serenely as a greater artist than all other artists, despising marble and clay as well as color, working in living flesh. That is to say, this matchless artist, hardly to be conceived of by the obtuse instrument of our modern, nervous, stupefied brains, made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living men immortals. These considerations lead us very far afield, They raise us above art itself. They make us see the art of creating life, the art of being immortal and alive at the same time. 
I can see why you were so gripped by that. That is powerful and not uh, the ordinary understanding of Vincent Van Gogh at all. Not at all. That's why I'm so thankful for this book. He's a deeply spiritual man, Christian man. And uh, we have a special guest. We do. On the line with us is another artist. His name is Makoto Fujimori. He's been with us before, a Japanese-American artist who is so gifted. And we'll give his website again in a few minutes for listeners who want to look at his work. But, Mako, welcome back to In the Studio. It's great to be back. We wanted you to respond to that quote uh, from from Van Gogh because yes. your your art is so very incarnational. What, 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 what's your response to that quote? Well, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, like so many artists, um, clearly understood that art was not a separate thing from life; um, that it was integral. And in fact, he uh, wanted to be a minister early on in his life. Um, but uh, he, uh, he wasn't very good at articulating with words. Uh, he found out that he was very gifted in visual means. And when you see his paintings, um, you find that they are parables. Uh, they are visual parables, and he, had, uh, he always intended them to be. Each one is a sermon, in a, in a sense. Mm. And many people, of course, do not realize that, and there's uh, uh, largely due to this myth that's created uh, uh, by the world, and, and it, it's unfortunate because a lot of art, as a Christian, uh, can be understood uh, from, from that perspective as, as a devotional tool. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm interested uh, in the idea that his uh, paintings are parables, uh, mm-hmm. uh, another means of, uh, of, of communicating truth besides just didactic uh, sermonizing or something like that. That's right. And in fact, there's a painting of his done um, uh, around the, uh, I guess when he was about 30, and there's a painting of a church, um, uh, empty, uh, dilapidated church. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you might see that painting and, and wonder, well, what is he saying? And you notice that surrounding the church, there are all these flowers coming, uh, Mm -hmm. blossoming. And uh, I think what he wanted to say was uh, very much that God is alive. And uh, but but it it had some somewhat left the church, the institution uh, of the church. Is that the painting that also the church has no door? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know that painting. Yeah. Well, one other question for you, uh, just in terms of Van Gogh. one thing I uh, sort of learned from this uh, book by Kathleen Erickson mm-hmm. is that, and this is just my, I, I'm supposing this and, and wanting you to uh, tell me if this is true or not. Sure. You and I talk a lot about uh, community and how art yes. comes out of community. Yeah. It seems to me that Van Gogh really suffered from this lack of community. I mean, he tried, didn't he, to, to link with some of the other artists of his time, but it really didn't work. Yes, and uh, you know, there's an echo of Ephesians two eight to ten there uh, that we are God's workmanship, poema, um, and that, those verses point to a community because uh, um, you know workmanship is a plural, not singular. So we we are, we are looking at a really a picture of the church when when he talks about uh, Jesus being the artist and. Uh, um, how how great of an artist he is. Mm. This is so interesting. Uh, Mako, I want to point our listeners to your website. We've done this before when you've been with us, and we'll place a link on our webpage for your website as well. But for anyone who'd like to go there directly and look at this wonderful art, it's Makoto, M-A-K-O-T-O, Fujimura, F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A.com. And again, our our webpage will have a link there to uh, to open up a world of... How do you describe it? Traditional Japanese art, but uh, yes, but it's a con- it's contemporary art okay. um, that's uh, specifically meant to be for this time. Um, so many of the paintings have abstraction, uh, abstract language. Okay, that's so uh, it it's different than what Van Gogh how he expressed himself in his paintings, and yet at the same time. Aren't you trying to accomplish much the same thing with what you do? Exactly, and I I think Van Gogh had had it um, uh, at at his time. He was able to capture the mystery of nature and and how um, even the skies, you know, have meaning um, and and purpose and power. 
And what I do is very similar in that uh, it's very gestural, and the colors and, and the materials, uh, which are all actually medieval materials. They're crushed minerals and mm. gold and mm. silver. It's beautiful. And so they're symbolic in themselves. How do you envision that touching the soul of man? What is spiritual about what you do? Well, I think what I do uh, when it comes down to it is very limited and <laughs> very simple. And what I'm simply responding to um, God's delight uh, mm. in me, and I, I and it, so therefore it's very devotional. Um, I try to leave things out of my mind as I paint. Uh, anything other than uh, simply sitting in front of Jesus, because of what uh, Christ. Uh, has given me and 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 his his craft and his artistry is is so amazing and so rich um so in that sense what i do is very focused uh, in, in, as a devotional work but um i i understand that when it goes out into the world it has to have a you know context mm-hmm. and uh, so forth but by virtue of the fact of who you are in christ i mean it has to come out doesn't it yeah, and uh, I I always think that it's best when it is unconsciously coming out. Uh, it's not forced out, or it just oozes out because uh, the, the, the very practice of painting, the very um, act of putting paint down on paper, that in itself uh, calls God's delight. Um, um, you know that act reflects. Um, his act, um, so that uh, that has meaning in itself. In in what way is the making of your art like worship? Oh boy! Um, again, it it comes from knowing um, that as Christ has given me this time and this space and this these materials, beautiful materials, and. Uh, I am able to be a child, mm-hmm. and um, as a Christian, you know, being a child means being a child of God, mm-hmm. which, which is a wonderful metaphor, uh, for being um, free of yourself, really, um, to delight in God's, um, God's presence. Well, Mako, it is always a pleasure to talk with you, and for any of our listeners who find themselves in New York City, literally just a few blocks from Ground Zero, your gallery is located there, and I'm sure you would be happy for them to stop in. Absolutely, and anybody can visit my website uh, for any information. God bless you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Michael, even as we say goodbye to you, we're going to turn to Michael to sing for us in the studio here. Uh, Michael, you have a song called Recapture Me. Tell us what this is about. Well, it's it's a lot of what uh, Mako was just talking about, uh, that uh, art, uh, well, biblically, through the prophets, God sought to recapture the imaginations of Israel uh, by all the uh, activities of the prophets, which were largely, largely mu- musical and poetic and involved uh, bizarre prophetic activity and, and uh, that sort of thing. I think what we learn from the prophets is that God is trying to recapture our imaginations, which is what he does through art and yes. what he does through music yes. as well. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Joining you here in the studio today are Steve Mikesell on bass and Paul Eckberg percussion. The song is called Recapture Me. Recapture me, recapture me I flee to where I cannot go Recapture me The bridge between my heart and mind Recapture me, recapture me You come across myself to find Recapture me You come and knock on imagination's door You come to show to know you Is what eyes and ears are for But not receive, recapture me, recapture me with eyes that see but can't perceive, recapture me your paradox and poetry, recapture me, recapture me. They speak one sacred certainty, recapture me. You come and knock on imagination's door, you come to show to. 
song recapture me michael card in the studio and michael anyone who has listened to our program knows that we talk about the scriptures in our commentary section we talk about creativity like we did with our artist friend today mm-hmm. and we also talk about community and you talk about recapturing imagination community is something we need to recapture as well definitely and uh, we're, we've got a, a passage of scripture before us that uh, you would not think has anything to do at all with community. Well, I admit I had never seen this before, so mm-hmm. take us to where you want to take us. Well, this is Zechariah 2. Uh, I want to start in verse 4. You want to read that okay. in your beautiful radio voice, my brother? <laughs> All right, I'll start at verse 4. And he said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Now, what would you think that that has to do with community? Well, I'm hoping you're going to give us the answer to that one. (laughs) It's It's a trick question, actually. The word community... Uh, means with walls. Cum hmm. with m- munia uh, is the word we get munitions from, okay. fortifications. Okay. But uh, it, community means with walls. Now, normally when we think of walls, we think of isolation. You know, we want to be isolated from someone or something. Or we think we need to break down walls, walls yeah. between the races, right. walls, walls between the sexes. Walls are wrong, but, that, but in this context, they're not wrong at all. I think it's because God knows we need walls. Hmm. I need uh, protective walls, uh, you know, walls to protect our communities. Uh, I need um, walls to nurture me, to know that hmm. I'm safe uh, within. And this passage in Zechariah tells me, that God is going to provide those walls. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful word is that he's going to be the glory within. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is the best hope for my community, mm-hmm. that God would be a wall around my community, but most especially that he would be the glory within it. And I, I want that to be sort of our guiding vision when we talk about community. And that's what we do each week here in the program. Now, the picture I get is, yes, the wall is is God and provided by God, but I see him using people as the building blocks in the wall. It's almost like people are standing around, you know, arm locked mm-hmm. uh, around each shoulder kind of thing. Do uh, you get that picture? Well, uh, certainly that's the biblical picture from, for instance, ne- uh, Nehemiah, mm-hmm. uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, this idea of rebuilding walls and... and uh, building them together. We're working together to rebuild our communities. But the glory of God is uh, is what we consistently ask for uh, to be in the center That's of our That's the power of community right there. And I think you'll see that uh, reflected in a lot of the brothers and sisters, especially the empty hands men. I, mm-hmm. I would think that uh, all of those guys would... Uh, would uh, say amen to this idea. You know, I think maybe the reason I get the picture of those people building blocks is that uh, I have a friend who pastors a church, and that's the church logo. It's the outline of a church, but it's all people, hmm. you know, kind of locked together, and I, I have always liked that. It's a, it's a great image and, and a reminder, of course, that the church isn't a building. Right. And uh, It's people, it's community. Yeah, and, and God is... The builder. Yeah, and if he's not, they labor in vain. They do labor in vain. He's the builder and he's the glory within. Hmm. It's the greatest hope we have for our community. Hmm. So thank you, Zachariah. Yes, uh, thank you, Michael, for bringing that to our attention here today. Now, we know that we talk a lot about community on this broadcast, Mm -hmm. but that's by design. That's who we are. That's who you are. And we want to lift up this theme in front of our listeners for their, their own encouragement, their own involvement. Well, community is the locus. It's where it happens. I mean, we talk about uh, commentary. Well, what's that for? I mean, commentary takes place in the give and take of community. I mean, teaching and preaching and uh, singing songs and, and painting pictures and all the rest. That That's what it's for. I mean, to wash the feet of the brothers and sisters that are part of our community. And the creativity part, I mean, we've almost worn this out, but uh, I'll say it again. Creativity comes out of community. Mm-hmm. So, we again, we need to be building community. We need to be encouraging it. And for a lot of us, myself included, we, we need to keep asking God to just let us understand 
what it means. What What is community? Well, asking God to let us understand what it means, can we pray together right now oh. along those lines? Because yeah. as we plan and prepare future programs, we certainly want to be creative in how we talk about community mm-hmm. and the people that we find to bring in to talk about community, but we need God's help with that, yeah. too. And we need to pray for our listeners that they experience this, truly experience this, too. Mm, That's a great idea. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, first of all, just thank you. Give us hearts of gratitude. Uh, Make our thanksgiving real and genuine. And we do thank you for giving us uh, this opportunity to speak to so many people. Thank you for uh, their openness uh, to spend time uh, that's so, so precious uh, joining us and listening as we do our best, Lord, to open your word and to open the door of our lives. Lord, I pray that those listening who have no idea what we're talking about, who don't understand what community is, even to those who have no desire to understand what it is, I pray, Lord, you would quicken them and you would help them to see that you are all about community. And for those, Lord, who, who do have this hunger, we pray uh, that that hunger would be fed, that you would be the one who would build the walls of their community, and that you would be the glory within. And finally, uh, Lord, just as a caution, I want to pray that those brothers and sisters listening to this program who are tempted to think that they are part of community simply by listening to us, that they would see that there is so much more than listening to people who, who frankly, they don't know that well on the radio. We are friends uh, to a degree, certainly, because of this ministry, friends with our listeners. But I, I pray that uh, those listening would go out and find genuine community, uh, real flesh and blood people that they can walk with and be accountable to and, uh, and love well. Lord Jesus, let us see this program not in, in, in too important a way, not to make too much of what we do, but also, Lord, let us understand the absolute uh, seriousness and significance of what we do. Mm -hmm. Help us to see ourselves as we ought, as your word says. I pray, Lord, for Wayne, that you would continue to bless him. Uh, Thank you for even his health, uh, the ability to uh, speak and, and think so clearly and decisively as he does. I thank you also, Lord, for Joe, for Joe Carlson, and his willingness to work so hard for putting these together and and uh, agonizing sometimes over the themes and what scriptures and, and how the programs would be put together. Lord, I thank you for Kenny Ferris, for his willingness to come mm-hmm. and engineer. So all of us together, Lord, just we lay our work in your hands. We pray for you to bless it. Uh, we lay the listeners in your hands and pray even now that they would be unusually aware of your presence and that there are men, uh, not just us, but others that they don't see who care deeply for them and want to encourage them in you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, as we conclude today, I pray for my brother Michael. Thank you for all of the energy and time that he's putting into and investing in us through this radio program. Lord, may it bring a return, not so much to us, Lord, but to your glory and uh, in your people's lives who listen. Thank you for this time, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as we close, one of your more recent songs, Michael, (laughs) a benediction here today. From Hebrews. Grace be with you all. Mm.
Forget not the sufferings of Jesus And bear the disgrace that he bore Confessing his name For Christ is the same yesterday to wrap up today's program in the studio with Michael Card. In the time remaining, I want to remind you that there's information about this program, Michael's music and teaching ministry. The details are just a few clicks away at www.michaelcard.com. So come by and check out what's going on behind the scenes. Find out about the features available for those who become members of a section we call the community. And we're very excited about our new publication called The Community Magazine and From the Study, Michael's new monthly e-journal. Learn about these, or if you'd like to go back and listen to this broadcast again, then go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in the studio program are available to order. Also, just out is Michael's newest book on the emotional life of Simon Peter, titled A Fragile Stone. There's so much to access which will enrich your relationship with Jesus. See for yourself when you log on to www.michaelcard.com. And then take a moment and send us a note about how God is speaking to you through this program. Send your comments to studio at michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.